follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me? I imagine the voice of Jesus, powerful, authoritative, but kind. Children loved him, but he spoke so forcefully that Pharisees hated him. And I'm just thinking, preparing for this sermon, a voice can say a lot about a person. Uh, My wife and I are watching the program, The Voice, and the whole premise of that show is that the judges can't see the person. They simply judge based off the person's voice, and they decide to turn and fight for that person based off how they sound. I myself am known to have a voice that carries. If you are in the youth building and it is a Wednesday night, you will be haunted by my voice wherever you go. And I've thought long and hard about what Jesus must have sounded like. These disciples immediately drop their professions, their lives, leave their families. And they're not the only ones. There's stories all throughout the Gospels of Jesus calling and people obeying, of him saying things and lives being changed, worlds being repaired, sins being abandoned. And yes, people so infuriated by simply his voice that they plan to kill him. We can't know for sure what Jesus' voice sounds like, but we know that his voice was compelling. It was captivating. There was something there that people found powerful, found compelling and captivating all at the same time. Today, we look at a critical moment in Jesus' early ministry, the call of the first four disciples. He is passing along the Sea of Galilee, And he sees Simon and Andrew casting their nets into the sea. And he says to them, in verse 17, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men, or of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So as I read this story and think on this story, three questions present themselves. So if you're taking notes, this is your day. Here are the three questions. Who is the one who calls? What is the call. Who are the ones called? The first one is the easiest. We simply have to look at the verses today to figure that out. The one who calls is Jesus Christ. And to say it is Jesus is to make a statement, to make a spiritual theological statement about a person who lived in history, who breathed and moved amongst us. Jesus is not a normal teacher. He said very scandalous things. Um, In Sunday school today, we discussed how Jesus said, if you sin, um, cut your hand off. Not just the normal, you know, feel-good teaching that we kind of are accustomed to. Um, Jesus said some crazy things. He said, I am God. I am God's son, and he is my father. He's not a normal teacher. He's not a simple peasant who simply got a bunch of people to follow him. He's not a warrior. He never led any large battles. Jesus, we believe, according to the scriptures, is both human and God at the same time. He selects these four by his authority as the Son of God. And this Jesus reveals to us the character of God himself. If you ask the question, who is God? Jesus is that answer. This Jesus will go on from this scene to do three years of incredible ministry, heal the sick and the lame, cast out demons, Um, just preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And ultimately, he will go to the city of Jerusalem that is still there in Israel today. 
He will resist being crowned an earthly king and made into a rebel leader. The religious leaders will hate him and see him as a threat to their power. As I said before, he will claim to be God, and not just little g God, but the all-powerful, the unreachable, the unknowable God of the Old Testament. Eventually, he will be captured and arrested, betrayed by one of his closest friends. He'll be whipped and tortured and crucified as a criminal. And sadly, he will die naked in front of his mother and a bunch of Roman soldiers just doing their jobs. And honestly, the story should stop there. He should be buried in these poor, deluded fishermen should have been forgotten by history. And yet we believe, and there's ample, ample evidence to agree with this, that Jesus came back from the dead, that he arose, and he found these four disciples and other disciples hiding in fear, and he called them again, that he went to heaven after giving them a mission and told those disciples to catch as many fish as they could until he returns. This Jesus is Lord, is God himself, and all authority and power belongs to him. He is higher than angels and humans, and he literally holds the universe in his hands. It is this Jesus, not the Jesus of movies and countless books and attempts to explain him. It is this Jesus who chooses us, who knows us, who acts for our behalf. It is this Jesus who died for us and loves us. And when we speak of the gospel, which literally just means good news, we are speaking of Jesus and his work. We are speaking of the only way, the truth, and the life. We are saying, acknowledging that he is unavoidable, he is inescapable, he is undefeatable, and he loves us. And truly, the only decision today for you is how you respond to him. That's the same question that has arisen time and time again, generation after generation, is how do you respond to Jesus Christ? This Jesus, to answer our first question, is the one who calls. And to hear that call, it is important to first understand the significance and the privilege of being called by Jesus himself. Today, if you hear nothing else in this sermon, in this worship service, in Sunday school, or even at lunch, know that we are each chosen by this Jesus. Whatever you've done or whoever you are or whatever you plan on doing, he invites you. You are welcome in God's family, and that comes from the top, from Jesus himself. Christianity is the only religion whose God bears the scars of his own people's sin, and he welcomes us with those scarred hands. Jesus is here, and he asks us to follow him. You know, we could stop with just that. I think that's, that's pretty much it. But what does Jesus call us to do? The call of Jesus is to be his disciples and his witnesses. Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. There is gain and there is loss in this story. 
the disciples lose their livelihood. As Jennifer wonderfully said, they're not just fishing for fun. They're not just out on an afternoon. Um, this is how they live. This is how they feed their families. This is how they survive. Um, it was a family business. You didn't just decide one day, I'm going to be a fisherman. Um, your father taught you, and his father had taught him, and so on and so on for generations. And yet they give all that up. They give their security and their identity, even their families, and there is a loss. We cannot speak of the gain of having Jesus until we acknowledge that there is a loss there. On the flip side, they gain Jesus himself. They belong to him, and he is responsible for them. Not only that, verse 17 says that he will make them into what he wants them to be. Their security, their new identity, their very lives are dependent on the one who calls them. They will learn from him, live and shape their daily lives around him, and ultimately these four will die for him. They are disciples, and they are fully committed to being his disciples. Now, I've been fishing a few times. I haven't caught anything the size of Jennifer. I think she might be like a genius fisherman and just not know it. Um, Don't tell her I said that, but she's my new goal now when I go fishing. Um, There's hooks, and there's rods, and there's a boat, and there's bait, and it always smells weird, and you just cast and you hope. It's fun. I actually really enjoy fishing. Um, It's my mother's favorite recreational activity, so we went fishing a lot as a kid. Um, But that's not the only way to fish. Um, These fishermen would use weighted nets, as we saw, and they would cast out and just hope and pray that something would find its way into their net. It was a job of patience and long-suffering and long hours, and there was no guarantee of a reward. The job of a fisherman was honestly not to catch fish. Their job was to throw the net. God brought the fish, and the fisherman's job was to have faith to cast again and again and again. In those days, fishing was considered a worldly activity. It was dirty and it was rough, and um, they were definitely the lower peasant class compared to you know, a scribe or an accountant or something like that. And when Jesus approaches them, he makes a play on words that these fishermen would understand. Instead of doing their job with real fish, he wants them to do a heavenly job of casting a net for God's fish. Part of being a disciple is that Jesus gives them a job. Their job is to witness, to cast, and to have faith. There's an excellent old pastor. um, I believe he is retired now, and his son has taken his place um, by the name of Claibon Lee. Not sure if y'all have heard of him. Um, Great guy, full of fire and grit. Um, And he had this to say about casting our nets and preaching the gospel. And he said, downplay everything else but Christ and him crucified. It is repetitive and it is redemptive. All you have to say is he died and he rose. Who does Jesus call? And the answer is us. Jesus calls us to be his disciples. We, and I say we to mean all those who believe in Jesus, are set apart for him by this work. We are to be disciples of Jesus to be loyal only to him, and to speak of him. Now, I'm not saying go into the desert and start a monastery and swear off all TV and all good fun times and all vacations for the rest of your life. Um, I'm not saying go to seminary. Um, That's definitely its own calling. I'm saying that Jesus isn't just a piece of the puzzle. Um, We like to make lists in our heads, or at least I do, of priorities, Um, especially when I get up in the morning. I know I have to do at least three of these top priority things, 
The rest of them kind of fall in that order. Um, and in my life, there's, there's a priority. My wife is there. My family kind of falls somewhere under that. You know, friends, family, all that stuff, work responsibilities. Um, and we tend to lump Jesus into those lists. It's logical, right? And yet, I would like to tell you today that Jesus is not in those lists. He's not on the priority number. Jesus is the center. He is the focus in life for every other aspect of our lives. He is God. He is Lord. So instead of a list, think of people orbiting around Jesus, around this one central person. I was reading a story yesterday about this small village in Prague. So think of your times in Prague. Um, Small, small little village, and everyone's doing everything on their town square. It's a very busy time. And this young atheist walks into the town square and just simply starts asking people questions about faith and God and where they stand. And he ends up finding another man, also young, um, and just really lays into him. Just, he's ready, he's prepared, he's been reading up. Um, and this young man is just silent as this guy just hits him with arguments and theological theorems and just angles. And he brings up all the evil and suffering in the world. And he says, how could God exist? And finally, he finishes this long, long monologue that he has prepared. And everyone's just kind of watching and waiting to see what happens. And the young man who's been listening doesn't say a word. He walks to the center of the square and he pulls out a flute. And he begins to play slowly at first. And everyone stops and pays even more attention, starts to listen. And he plays softly and softly and starts to build. And eventually the entire town is dancing and singing around him. And there's joy. And the story ends. It's open to our interpretation, if that is a valid answer or not. We are not perfect people. We are not yet fully masterpieces of God. We are not perfect in any way. And yet Jesus is working in us. He is playing a song that sometimes we can hear very clearly and sometimes it's ebbed a bit and it's in the background and we're just kind of dancing along. And yet Jesus invites us. He calls us to follow him, to find the rhythm, to hear that music that takes us somewhere special, somewhere that we can't really put into words. We are to be faithful fisher people wherever we go to share the gospel news of Jesus Christ and cast the net as many times as we can. To answer our three questions, Jesus calls us to be his disciples and witnesses in this world. Now, I chose to speak on calling this Sunday and use this scripture today for two reasons. The first one is pretty logical. Um, This is one of the verses that I use to understand my personal faith and my calling as a minister. As a pastor, I see myself following Jesus no matter what obstacle or circumstance comes along the way. If you just lived, you know that at some point you will be disappointed. Um, People and education and institutions and even your own efforts. You know, I started out just... Let's do this. I'm going to show everybody how great Jesus is. I'm just going to pound it into their heads if I have to. And that fails after a while. We all kind of hit that point, and ministry can be difficult, and life can be difficult. If you are called to minister, it is, it is wonderful. It truly is. But it is not always easy. And if I get frustrated or exhausted or doubtful, 
This is one of the passages that I turn to, and it points me back to Jesus. And it reminds me that he is faithful, and I'm depending on him. I respond to the song that he has sung, and I follow again, knowing that I will fail, and that the people around me that I have built up in my mind will fail. And yet Jesus does not, and he is good, and that is enough. Secondly, and this is very exciting, uh, we as a church are close to choosing a new senior pastor. From what I've heard, they're close to at least one or three candidates. It depends on who you ask. Um, And in Baptist churches, we've been going faithfully through the process um, by our bylaws and everything that's been elected. Um, A committee of church representatives of you, the congregation, um, after extensive interviews and prayers, has narrowed it down. Um, We're close. We're close people. Um, And they have prayed and they have worked and labored and talked with these pastors who are prospective senior pastors. Some Sunday soon, we will have a man stand in this pulpit who will give a sermon in view of a call, and we will hear, and we will discern, and we will vote if they are to be the new senior pastor of First Baptist Church. It's important to remember that this is not a formality. This is a critical function of the church to acknowledge the special calling of a minister to come here, to be the pastor here. Now, different denominations and different traditions do it differently, but for Baptists, and our church especially, um, this is God and you, the church, and the candidate all agreeing together that this is God's will, that this has come, and in this time and in this place, this is where the Spirit has led us. It is a holy work that our committee has been doing and that soon all of us get to participate in and do together. I ask that when that time comes, that you listen and you discern and you pray. You are the disciples of Jesus Christ. Ask these questions. Does this person speak of Jesus Christ as Lord? Does he faithfully cast a net to fish, trusting in the Lord to provide? Has he left behind his old life to follow after Jesus? And is Christ the center? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 quotes Paul as he speaks to another church. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is that Jesus who works and calls and speaks amongst us, who asks us and commands us to follow him. It is that Jesus whose voice rises over the noise of the day and commands us. He calls us deeper and he calls us together. What is your answer today? Amen.